0: Today on Reasoning Through the Bible, we're going to meet a businessman who makes a business proposal for a brand new project. Steve, I don't know if you realize that the Bible talks about project management and how to make proposals and how to sell an idea to a person in authority, but we're going to meet somebody that does that today when we go through the book of Nehemiah.
1: Yeah, and being that I worked in that field of project management for about 27 years. I'm glad to know that there's some information here. I've actually used some of the things that Nehemiah has done in my work before, but uh, it's going to be a good review.
0: And today we are going to meet Nehemiah, who is a great project manager, a great businessman, and he's going to approach... King Artaxerxes with a very important request, something that's been weighing heavily on his heart. As we saw in Nehemiah chapter one, Nehemiah had received some news about the city of Jerusalem and how the people were discouraged and the walls were broken and the gates were burned. And even though Nehemiah had never been to that city, that's where his people from, that's where his fathers were from. He had a great heart for the city of Jerusalem in the land of God there in the land of Israel. Today, he's going to approach King Artaxerxes, and we're going to see how he does that, and we can learn a great deal from that. So if you have your copy of the Word of God, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. And Steve, if you
1: could start at verse 1 and read down through verse 8. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen, sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, If it please the king, Let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. We have here, as we said, Nehemiah's request
0: to the king For the authorization to go and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. We have this happening in a very careful manner. And we can know that because if we remember in chapter one, he first learned of the problem in Jerusalem in about what is our November, December timeframe. And here in the first verse, it says the month of Nisan, which is approximately March and April. So it had been four months since he first heard the news. And as we saw in chapter one, he was weeping and crying and praying and fasting. Steve, I find it interesting that he didn't immediately go to the king and make this request. Why would he wait four months to make this request?
1: Well, in the background, the king Artaxerxes that we know and over in Ezra had already issued a decree to stop building on the wall. There had been this conflict and they had come into the king of people complaining and saying that it was being used possibly as a fortress against him. So I believe that that was probably what was in Nehemiah's mind. Hey, you know, Artaxerxes has issued this decree to stop. How am I going to get around this decree? Is he going to grant it to me? How is it that I'm going to be able to convince him to let me go and rebuild the walls and start to rebuild it with this decree that's out there to stop building the walls?
0: We saw last time that he was fasting and praying and, and weeping over Jerusalem. We see here he waited four months. So I believe that Nehemiah he wasn't just just praying about it, and we can tell from his request he had been thinking about this all during those months and had a at least some degree of a plan in his mind on what was going to be needed. He waited for the right time when the king was the most receptive. His job was cupbearer. He would have been around the king and around the king's business quite a bit. He would have had a pretty good idea of what might be the right time and what might be the wrong time to approach the king. So that was one of the things he did is he waited for the Lord's timing. He waited for the king to be in the right mood. He waited for the Lord to present the right opportunity. And I think we can learn from that. Hebrews 6.12 tells us that we, quote, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. True faith comes with patience. True faith comes with a calmness and an assurance that God's going to work things out. We may have a burden for something. God may lay a heavy burden on our heart. But Deep down, we should have a calm that God's going to work this out. And I think that's why Nehemiah can wait four months to do this. And he also tells us in this passage that he changes his demeanor in front of the king. It says he its the first time he had been sad in front of the king. Nehemiah would normally have been smiling and happy in front of the king, but now is showing grief. And the king notices this. And in verse two, the king asked Nehemiah, why is he sad? And and then it says he was afraid. So, Steve, why would Nehemiah be afraid at that point when the king asked, why are you sad?
1: Well, I think he's doing that because he knows he's going to have to ask him. "I, I want to go back. I want to leave the court and go back to build the wall of my home where my ancestors were. Nehemiah had been there through the captivity we also see that the king maybe has a little bit of a relationship with Nehemiah, that he likes him, because when he asks him, he says, well, how long are you going to be gone? It also mentions in the text that with the queen that was next to him, there seems to be that, that the king and the queen liked Nehemiah, and Nehemiah probably knew in his heart, once I go, I'm not returning. That was that. And then also, hey, I'm fixing to ask the king to go out and rebuild the wall from what had been a decree to stop building the wall.
0: Nehemiah Waits says in verse 1 that wine was before the king, the queen was there. So this probably wasn't a time where there was some heavy state business that would have caused a lot of pressure and frustration. He waited till the king was in a good mood with his family there. One of the reasons he would have been afraid was the servants around the king were expected to show pleasure in being in the presence of the king. Just being in the presence of the king, oh I should be happy because i'm I've been honored with being in the presence of the king on top of that, Nehemiah being the cupbearer would have been expected to be professional, would have expected to be happy, would have expected to be kind of a pleasant demeanor and here he's going to be asking to leave because again Nehemiah, enough of a project manager, Nehemiah knows he's going to be the one that's going to have to go lead this. He's not going to be able to delegate this from a distance. He's going to have to go do it. And asking to leave the king's court would have been, or at least potentially received as a, as an offense to the king. And the king has all the power in the world. He He could decide whatever he wants on a whim. The king could have said, Who do you think you are wanting to go away from me and and could have done whatever he wanted? And on top of that, as you pointed out, Steve, the king had already issued a decree to not do what he's about to ask to do. So this is a potentially major issue that he's asking here. And it's not just afraid, but very afraid. And in serving this earthly king, we have to wait for an invitation. Nehemiah had to wait for the right moment. And he waited four months. Steve, I think we can learn something from this. What can we learn about approaching our king? Do we have to wait four months until the king's in the right mood because we're scared that he's what what reaction we're going to get from our king?
1: No, we don't. And that's the the great thing that we have. We're told that we can come and approach the throne of God at any time through our prayers and petition him for whatever our needs might be. Or whatever it is that we want to go to him with in prayer. And that is something that I think maybe we have lost in our current age which we live. You served at the king's pleasure, and a lot depended upon the mood of the king. If you caught him in a bad mood or at a, at a wrong time, and his reaction might have been to banish you from the court, it might have been depending upon the situation, hey, put him in the dungeon, put him in prison, kill him. We've lost that serving at the whim of a king and depending upon his every word and and how his moods were, we don't appreciate that today. But as we said, we can go boldly, as scripture tells us, to God at any point in time with our prayers. The
0: whim of the king in Artaxerxes' days could have removed our head from our shoulders. But we don't have to do that. As you quoted, Steve, what you were quoting was Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. So as Christians in the New Testament, Christians can come boldly into the throne room. We don't have to worry about the whims of the king because our king is always loving. He doesn't always grant every request that we have. Because some of our requests are misguided. I thank God that he didn't answer some of my prayers in the ways I asked him at the time, because later he had a greater plan. But our king, we can come anytime. We don't have to wait four months. We don't have to wait four minutes. We don't have to wait till he's in a good mood because he's always loving and he's always going to give us a loving response. And he's always going to give us the best response that is good for us. We don't have to wait till he's finished with the, the king's business in a business meeting. We can come boldly into the throne room. Then in verse three, Nehemiah is already prepared with an answer. And he tells the king about the state of his ancestral land. By mentioning the place of his father's tombs in verse 3, this brings a sense of a higher cause that the king would have respected. Nehemiah wasn't saying that the reason he wanted to leave was because of some selfish ambition. He said, oh, I want to go do some great work because of me. I'm I'm ambitious and want to leave your presence, O king. No, no. The place of my fathers is broken down. That would have been something that the king would have had some respect for. He wants to rebuild the place where his ancestors were. That shows a, a better reason. Nehemiah had been thinking about this answer, and he had an answer prepared. The king, in verse 4, asks, what, what do you want? And in 5 through 8, Nehemiah is ready with this answer. He already has this high-level plan. Steve, what do we know? What can we tell from this, this plan that he's got?
1: Well, he asked the king, He he gives him the request— Why shouldn't I be sad? The place of my ancestors lies desolate. He does appeal to Artaxerxes' emotions and puts a personal spin on it of where I came from, where my ancestors grew up. It's all desolate. It needs to be rebuilt. But in that request, he also says, hey, I need a pass to go through the country so that they won't harass me as I go through the country. And I also need another decree from you for the the governor over your forest there so that I can get wood to rebuild the gates. So Nehemiah, we see this project management start to come out in him and that he knows, number one, you got to get permission from the, the person that's got the authority to start the project. And he gives a clear goal of what the project is. And the third thing he says is, these are the items that I need in order to start and work on this project.
0: What he didn't have to do is go back and say, okay, King, let me go work up some ideas and I'll come back with a a draft of a plan. No, no. He already had an idea. As you pointed out, he knew what resources he needed, what approvals he was going to have to have, who he was going to have to talk to. He even has a rough idea of about how long it's going to take. I remember Steve going to superiors, trying to get approval for projects, and one of them said something very pointed that I always remember. He said, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. That's what Nehemiah has here. He has, okay, here's a problem, but I've got a solution for it. Here's what's going to have to happen to make it work. And I'm requesting your honor, King, to be able to do this. Very wise. Nehemiah was not a lazy person. He had been working on this. Yes, he'd been praying and crying and and fasting, it said in chapter one. But he's also been thinking and working and working up to this, this one point. So what was the king doing in verse 1 when he was first approached? He's drinking wine, and he waited until the king was in this good mood. He had all these answers ready, or at least all the the ideas ready to ask the king. He says in verse 4, in between when the king first asked the question, he says, I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, do you think his prayer was long and flowery and and really wordy at this point?
1: No, I think it was a very simple prayer of God, give me me the words to say. I'm getting ready to make this request. Give me the words to say. And also let the words fall on favorable ears and let the King Artaxerxes grant favor in the request that I'm getting ready to make.
0: If we need something or want something done in our churches— And we're going to approach the church leaders with an idea. What should we have in place before we go ask them? I would submit some of these same things, right? How should the average church member, if they see, hey, here's a need in a church, how should I go about approaching the church leadership to, to get these things done?
1: That goes back to your comment that some people are just professional complainers and that they complain about different things that might be happening in the church, but yet they don't come up with any solutions. That, I believe, is a key thing. If the if there's something that somebody sees that is a potential issue, they should approach the leadership with a potential solution to it. So, yeah, they need to be prepared. The other thing is, of four months, you know that Nehemiah had been going over his head. When I get the chance, here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I, needs to happen. But he still offers this prayer up. This is it. This is the time, Lord. Let everything find favor with you in this request.
0: Right. And and leaders don't need more complainers. They don't need more problems. What they need is solutions. Most of the leaders want, at least in churches that I've been in, the church leaders want to be able to go out and do more ministry work from the church. What they need is somebody that has some ability to say, okay, I'll take this and go run with it and make it work. That's kind of what they, what they need in order to do a ministry. So look at the very end of verse 8. The very end of verse 8, it gives us a reason why... The king granted this request. What was the reason why Nehemiah ultimately got what he wanted?
1: Because the good hand of God was on him. He acknowledges that God has granted him this request to be favorable to Artaxerxes.
0: And here is, a, yet again, one more great example of how God's hand of blessing and God's hand of providence was on this situation. And that's the primary cause of why this happened. But yet God's hand of blessing was upon him working through the free will actions of people. God caused his will to be accomplished through free will actions of both Nehemiah, who was a follower of God, and this pagan king. Both Nehemiah and the king were making choices and could have chosen otherwise, yet God's hand of providence was upon them both to get his will accomplished through them. And Steve, I just find that fascinating. And once you start seeing that pattern, I find it everywhere in Scripture. God works through free will actions of people. If you were to ask King Artaxerxes, he says, I made this choice. I'm the king. I could have denied it or I could have approved it. I decided to approve it. And yet the word of God says that God's hand was upon him. And that's why it happened. So it's both true that God determines things to happen, but he does it through free will actions of both believers and non-believers. And I find that very interesting. If we look around through Scripture, we see this throughout the Scriptures. Here, King Artaxerxes and Nehemiah. I remember, Steve, we went through Pharaoh in Egypt. God's hand was upon Pharaoh because God wanted to Make an example of the people of Egypt. King Cyrus, God worked through King Cyrus at the beginning of the captivity to go in and take over Israel and take them captive. That was part of God's plan. Caesar issued a decree that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, free will action of, of a non-believer. Pilate and Herod both made decisions that led Jesus to the cross, yet that was the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It says throughout the scriptures, we see God working through the free will actions of people to get his will done on earth. And ask me how that works. I'll say, I don't know.
1: But it is something that comforts us and lets us know we need to ask for God's favor on the things that he has placed on our heart. So that's just a start. Something that God is moving you to do, that's just the beginning. Stay in connection with God. Continue to pray and ask for doors to be open, for opportunities to come about. And as you pray for that, you'll find that those things do. Nehemiah waited for the correct opportunity. And then right before he did the request, he said, Lord, grant me the favor that this might come about.
0: If we look at the tail end of verse 8, it says here, the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was upon me. Well, the granted them to me part are these letters of authorization to go and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, right there is a key point in biblical prophecy, believe it or not. And it says this year, if we look at the first verse of this chapter, it says this happened in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. So right here in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, when he gives this decree for Nehemiah to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, that is the exact point where the 70 weeks of Daniel start. Look over in the book of Daniel. It, it talks a great deal of these 77s or 70 weeks that are going to happen. And the Messiah is going to get cut off, which is Christ. Right here in Nehemiah 3.8, when he gives this command in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, that's when the 70 weeks started. And the calculations have to take into account solar years and leap years, and and there's no year zero, and we won't bore people with the tedium. But this year was the year 444 BC. If we or to look at the scholars that have done the math, it lands right at the time of Christ. So any comments about that, Steve? We're going to get to the book of Daniel. We'll go over this in some detail then. But
1: Yeah, and the scholars have also looked at it, and it comes down to the time that Jesus enters and makes His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It comes even up to that specific day and time period of when He's coming into the city of Jerusalem.
0: We have here that there's this command to rebuild Jerusalem. There was another one over in the book of Ezra to go rebuild the temple. The prophecy starts here. With this, Nehemiah is determined to improve the condition of the city of Jerusalem. He had a biblical reason to be involved in governmental processes to improve the condition of a city. Say that again. He had a biblical reason to be involved in governmental processes to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And Steve, I think that's a theme throughout this book. Nehemiah had a biblical reason to go make the city better. And he worked through the government to do that. And I think one of the main themes of this book is that we as Christians should work within the system to accomplish God's will. Most of us in our places where we live have the ability to at least tell our officials what we believe. And if we tell them biblical things, that's our obligation. It's up to God to work into their hearts. And I don't know why this is controversial, But we have in our churches people that deny this, and I see it very plainly here in Nehemiah. He works through the government to accomplish a biblical purpose for a greater good. He realizes that he is the man of the hour and that he is uniquely in a position to be able to influence the government to accomplish a biblical purpose. And we should take that as an example. Some of us are in positions to be able to influence our governments for a biblical cause and a biblical morals and a biblical purpose. At a minimum, we can vote for candidates and tell our local officials what the Bible has to say about the issues that come before us.
1: Well, that's because Nehemiah is working through God on what he's been placed on his heart. And so he doesn't go out and start making his own plans. How am I going to bring this about? He has those plans, but you get the sense that he's worked this out with God. What What is it I need? We talked about him spending four months. He's working through God. While this has been placed on his heart, he doesn't leave it up to himself to come up with everything. No, he continues to pray about it. He continues to go to God about it. And the right opportunity and time for him to bring it up comes up. And so same thing with us. We can work through various administrations and governments, as you mentioned, but we should not leave God out of it. We should continue to work through God and let God work on those people's hearts, as you mentioned.
0: Nehemiah worked within the system, worked within the legal rules of where he was, and he was, again, the man of the hour. He realized what what God's need was and God's desire was. But he and he, he didn't go out and start a rebellion. He didn't go violate the will of the king. He worked within the laws of the country he was in to improve the condition of society. He had a, yes, a biblical reason, but the biblical reason improves society. And as we're going to see before the end of this book, it, it provides order. It provides a moral position. It provides a lot of things. We should take this as an example. We, just like Nehemiah, have a Biblical mandate to improve society for a greater good, and that is generally with godly morals, godly ethics, and godly ways. We should work within our system, don't violate the laws, but we can work within the system to accomplish those goals and let God do the rest. When Christians stay silent and stay in our churches and don't get involved in influencing the government for a greater good, that's when society falls apart. We are to be the people of the hour because if 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 no one else but the Christians, I mean, we're the ones that have the divine truth and the divine ways that people should work and how societies ought to work. If we stay silent about it, no wonder the world's going to fall apart.
1: But Glenn, didn't Jesus say you're the light of your local congregation? and the light of your household, and you're the salt of your household, and you're the salt of your congregation. Isn't that what he said?
0: No, you got it a little wrong there. I think he said world.
1: You're the light
0: of the world. Okay. And and you're the salt of the earth. Okay. we are to go out and take these biblical truths and help other people around them. Too many times Christians have stayed inside the walls of our churches and let society just fall apart.
1: And there's an old chorus song that says what? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. To do that, you got to go and and forth in the world and let your light shine.
0: That That old kid song came from the parable that Jesus told in the Gospels, where if you have a light, you don't put it under a basket. No, you set it up on a stand where it gives light to the whole room. That's the idea. We have biblical truth we have the light of god and we need to let it shine through our neighbors our government officials and those around us probably a good time to stop for today next time we're going to get into nehemiah when he actually goes to jerusalem and how he handles that and what he does first and what he does second i hope you'll be with us as we reason through the bible thank you for watching and listening
1: may god bless you